So uh, we've been in a series called Summer Fruit, and just really quick before we get going, I want to just kind of uh, maybe kind of foreshadow uh, what may happen here at the Rock Church in the fall. Um, if you guys kind of look around, we're talking about uh, the Rock Church might be hitting our summer slump. And uh, usually every church goes through this through the summer times. You know, people take vacation. I'm going on vacation. I won't be here next Sunday. Um, that'll probably be the time where everyone shows up, right? They're like, Pastor Vaughn's not preaching. Let's show up. Uh, and so um, I am talking about long suffering today, so you're welcome. Um, but uh, if you guys can just, if, it's, if you guys can quick look around, don't be awkward and like stare at the person next to you. But um, we, uh, we're, we're a growing church, and I cannot wait till what the church is going to look like this fall. Uh, we've had uh, probably a couple new families each Sunday find out about the Rock Church. A few of them stick. They really love the mission and vision that we have. And so I just want to say thank you guys for just being a church on mission. Thank you for being a church that is uh, evangelized, uh, kind of centered, where we want North Platte to know the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So can you guys give it up for yourselves? Come on. It's okay. Go ahead and clap for yourselves. It's all right. And so I just want to say thank you guys. So I'm really, really excited for fall. I know we just finally got our heat wave, but I am ready for the leaves to change and the snow to fall and negative 30. Come on now. Am I preaching this morning? Come on. There's some people. Yeah, they're like, yes, amen. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> let's keep that enthusiasm as we talk about long-suffering. Here we go. <laughs> so we've been uh, on this series called uh, Summer Fruit, and what we've been doing, we've been looking at uh, this place in Galatians 5. If you want to open your Bibles to Galatians 5, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. Uh, we have free ones in the back if you want one. We also got the scripture behind us. But we're in this, uh, this uh, piece of scripture, Galatians 5, where we read of this fruit that as Christians, as Jesus followers, we're supposed to bear this type of fruit. And so what we've been doing is we've looked at this fruit, which there are nine of them, and we've been listening to various speakers so far. Uh, Phyllis talked about joy. Uh, Pastor Tyson from Scott's Bluff talked about uh, faithfulness. Uh, next week, Autumn's talking about uh, self-control. And um, today I am talking about, about the one that no one picked, the fruit of long-suffering. Uh, and so, but my, my, my prayer is this for you guys, uh, that it may be kind of funny, today might be a morning of long suffering, I hope it's not, uh, but I hope you guys really understand uh, this type of fruit that we're supposed to bear, uh, this fruit of long suffering, and so we're going to talk about exactly what is long suffering, but before we get going, uh, I think we need to understand exactly what the purpose of the fruit of the Spirit is all about. So let's read this section of Galatians 5. And there's going to be a part there towards the end where you guys are going to read with me. So I encourage you guys, let's wake up a little bit. Let's let the caffeine get to our veins. And let's go ahead and read this together. But uh, we'll, we'll join in together uh, at verse 22. So it goes with this. It says this. This is Paul talking uh, to the church in Galatia. And it says this. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, basically when you follow what you want to do and not what God would like you to do, the results are very clear. The results are this. Sexual immorality, impurity. Uh, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. Uh, believe it or not, sorcery is actually on the rise. The occult is growing right now, and we need to make sure we're doing our job to train up our kids. That doesn't matter how good-looking the vampires are on TV or how sexy it might look like to be a witch and do those things. I'm telling you, the TV's really pushing that. Uh, guard your kids. Pray for your kids every single day because the occult is growing, and it's the very opposite of what Jesus wants to do in our life. Can I get an amen with that? Someone. It goes on. He says, uh, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, uh, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
And so it's a really big warning, a really big warning for those of us who want to follow after ourselves. But he gives us uh, a cool little glimpse of what it looks like when we walk with the Spirit. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Can we all read this together? It says this, it says what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. That is exactly what happens when we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want to follow after you. Essentially, what we're doing is we're crucifying ourselves with Christ, saying it's no longer about me. It's all about Jesus. And so, and that's what we're about. And he goes on and he says, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. You see, the fruit of the Spirit, if we can put it plainly, is fruit that we as Jesus followers bear when we walk with Jesus' Spirit. We call him the Holy Spirit. And he's not a, a, a weird guy or a weird entity that makes you do weird things. His, when you walk with the Spirit, you bear fruit, and this is the fruit that you bear. And when we are in tune with Jesus, so much so, these characteristics begin to show up in our lives. So it's a very healthy question to ask yourself, Am I bearing this type of fruit? Do I see these things in my life? Am I producing this type of fruit? And here's what's interesting about these characteristics. Tyson hit on them just a little bit last week. The reason why we bear this fruit is because these fruit is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. When we bear this fruit, when we walk with the Holy Spirit, this is the type of fruit we bear. And the reason why it's essential to bear this, because it's what separates us from this world. This is our ID tag, if you will. This is what sets us apart saying, oh, you're not like the others. You're a little bit different. The, the, the fruit gives us characteristics of a Christian. It's like this. We all know what type of fruit is a fruit just by looking at it, Right? Or just by the smell of it or the taste of it. You can tell what makes a fruit a fruit. And in fact, it is what makes us crave the fruit. And just to prove my point, we're going to play a really, really quick game. It's called Name That Fruit. It's not very exciting, but we're going to do it anyways to drive home this point. All right? So you got to name this fruit. First one, what is that? Now, how do we know it's grapes? It's, it looks like grapes, Pastor Vaughn. Don't be so dumb. Right? Next one, what, what's this fruit? What's this one? an apple, right? It's brown, it's red, it's a little stem on top. Apples. Next one. How do you know that? It looks like an orange. I think we got one more up there. What's this one? Right? It's yellow. It looks like a banana. It looks like this is what fruit does. And essentially, you know this, know these fruit by the characteristics that they hold, just as Christians. When Christians are so filled with Jesus, we develop this fruit in our life that looks like joy, peace, patience, and so on and so forth. And when people look at you as a Christian, just like as we looked at that fruit, we knew it was an apple, not an orange. We knew it was, it was grapes and not something else. They should know that you are, in fact, a Christian and nothing else because of the characteristics that you resemble. Kind of makes you think a little bit, at least for me, because if I go out there, do they know that I'm a Christian? Now, now, I've got my name on our website, and they know I'm a pastor. So I'm asking you as the Rock Church, do they know that you're a Christian? Without even saying anything. Because notice an apple doesn't say, hey, guys, I'm an apple. Don't worry. 
You're going to get an apple. We know it's an apple because we see an apple. Because we know you're a Christian by the characteristics that you hold. And do you know what happens when you're set apart? You know what happens? And this is why it's so important. Because then God sets us on this path called holiness. And now holiness is not this bad term of like, oh, you're so oh, holy thou, whatever. Holy actually means, in its very definition, be set apart. And when you're set apart, people will notice the characteristics. And just as we crave an apple or we crave an orange, they'll also start craving the characteristics that you bear. 1 Peter 2.9 says it this way. It says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. Check this out. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. He's talking about Israel, but this also pertains to us. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. And so here is the question by the fruit in your life. Can people tell that you follow Jesus? And that is why we're going through this series, Summer Fruit. Because we don't want to blend in. We don't want to put on camouflage. Nor do we want to act like something we're not. I want you as your pastor to develop these characteristics of this fruit. That when you go out, they know indeed, in fact, that you are a follower of Jesus. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They know it by the way you act and behave in this world. This is so important for us, church. Can people tell by the way you react to bad circumstances that you're different from others? Can people know that the way you rejoice in the good times, that you're different from others, that when you talk by what you say while everyone else is gossiping and slandering, and it's your turn to chime in, can they tell that you're different? Well, my relationship with Jesus between me and no one else, that is a lie. Your relationship with Jesus is not supposed to be private. It's supposed to be anything but. Philippians 2.12, let me go this and we'll kind of go into the meat of the sermon. He says this, he says, dear friends, you always followed my instruction when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now, we are saved by grace through faith. Amen. Again, Tyson talked about that last time. But because of that, we should be bearing this fruit that leaks into the works that we do in this world. And people will know that when that's the result of your salvation. Obeying God with deep, there, there's the word, reverence and fear to it. And that's why Matthew 7.20 puts it very plainly. This is kind of the core of the pre-sermon to the sermon is this. He says, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So let me ask one more time. I've said it many times already. But can people know by the way you act, know that indeed, without a shadow of a doubt, you are a follower of Jesus? My prayer is yes. Students, as you go to school in the fall, that your friends and the people around you know that, in fact, you follow Jesus. People that work on the railroad and the plant and the D.C. and everything, that when you go there and everyone else is complaining about their boss, slandering about the work and how ho-hum and how I hate this and that, when it's your turn to chime in, do they know that without a shadow of doubt that you are different? My prayer is that it would be yes. Just as you can tell an apple tree because it bears apples people can tell that you're a christian that you are a christian because you bear the fruits of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this is why we're doing this series. And so today, I am talking about one, again, no one picked, but we're going to be talking about this thing called long-suffering. Did you notice? I don't know why. Some translations don't have this word in there listed with the fruits. Uh, a lot of them kind of replace long-suffering with patience. Some translations actually have both. Um, and I didn't do enough study to see exactly why. But I do know in the first translation, long-suffering was included in there. And long-suffering is kind of coupled with patience. They kind of have this ebb and flow together. They're, they're hand in hand. They're kind of married together. And so I was wondering, like, man, like, how do I preach about long-suffering when we live in a world that's all about, hey, let's try to make you suffer by the news you watch and everything else and tell you that the world's going to end. And I found something interesting. Uh, I found something kind of interesting and hopefully kind of interests you and kind of sparks a little uh, uh, kind of just, I guess, interest into this message. Uh, but I want to start with the definition of long-suffering because when we think of long-suffering, we think of what? Suffering for a long time, right? That's what we think about. The, long, the word long-suffering uh, is simply defined as this, long-fused. Long-fused. The best way I can kind of illustrate this for you is kind of like, uh, have you guys seen the old, I don't know if they play these cartoons anymore, but it's the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote, right? And he's trying to get the Roadrunner, and so he puts up the big kind of pile of dynamite, and he lets loose this huge string and brings it over here to kind of this, uh, this thing that, uh, that you pump down, I forgot what it's called, but you push it down, and it totally explodes everything. Between that, between that and the detonation, there's this long string, and that's kind of the fuse. And the purpose of this is you want to make sure that you have enough of that fuse to get yourself in a safe distance before it explodes. In fact, I grew up in the Black Hills just for a little bit, and a little, uh, the rest of my time in Montana, and we visited like the mines, the copper mines, gold mines, and they were talking about how they would kind of uh, drill these holes out, and they put sticks of dynamite in there, and they'd have this huge long fuses so that the miners can get away safely. And he says that fuse was important, because if you have a long enough fuse, you can get out alive. Too short, you're going to die. Long fuses are essential. And so this term, long-suffering, literally means long-fused. And when it comes to long-suffering and patience, we, 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 we would kind of like to say our fuse is long, right? And when you talk about patience and, and how well, how much can you endure, how much can you handle, I think a lot of us would say, yeah, my fuse is pretty long. However, however, you can see how long the fuse, are, the fuse is by how quick the explosion is after it's lit. We just came off the fourth, right? How many of you guys bought firecrackers? Those are my favorite fireworks in the world. I love these. You know why? Because you can light them, and you can throw them underneath people's lawn chairs, and you can scare them. I do that, okay? I'm st I still am not surround like that outside of church, okay? Inside of church, I want to do that to you. Maybe. 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 But they had these firecrackers, and, and I remember as a kid, I was playing with these, and there was times where I would kind of get in trouble because I'd go out and buy the M40s. You guys know what I'm talking about? And the M80s. Put them in the watermelons. You light them, and they explode and blow up the whole watermelon. Does anyone still do that anymore? No, we're sheltering our children. Okay, that's a good job. <laughs> Keep doing that with your kids. But once in a while, I would grab a firecracker that didn't have enough fuse, and instead of throwing it away, like my mom would say, you know, light it on the ground and get away really fast. No one did that. I was pretending to be in war, and I'd throw it like a grenade. And I'd grab one with a little fuse, and before I could throw it, it would blow up in my hand. It would blow up in my hand. And I think... When it comes to our long-suffering and our patience, I think our fuse is maybe about that long. 
I have to ask you this question. How long is your fuse? How long is your fuse? Is it short that when life hits, and it could even be the smallest thing, that you immediately explode? Or is it long enough that when it's lit, you're able to cut it off before it explodes? As I was preparing for this, and I was kind of writing this series, uh, I had a light bulb kind of go off that God, uh, he also bears this fruit. He, he, God doesn't ever ask us to do anything that he doesn't do as well. And so when we talk about bearing this fruit of the Spirit, God also bears this. And the one thing that I was kind of had this light bulb go off is that our God is long-suffering. Not that God makes us suffer for a long time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that our God, he suffers. He is long-suffering. And I think that's kind of weird because not when we're up there, we're not going to say at God, like, long-suffering, long-suffering, praise you, God, you're long-suffering. But that is one of the characteristics of God, and I want to prove that to you this morning. God is long-suffering. In fact, there's a picture in the Bible that paints this, that no matter how many times we intentionally or unintentionally light God's fuse, it never gets out of hand. In fact, God reacts in a way that his fuse doesn't light at all. And so kind of my big picture this morning is when we ask, how long is my fuse, how, how, how long is it before it's lit and it explodes, my hope for you is that your fuse wouldn't even light at all. Because God's doesn't. His fuse doesn't light at all. In fact, if you go to Nehemiah chapter 9, 16 through 21, uh, this is a story where it picks up on this brilliant guy by Nehemiah. And he's done the impossible by rebuilding the protective walls around the nation of Israel in record time. Amazing story. You guys should read it. We might do a series about it here in the next few months. Um, but they finished the, the finished product by having a huge worship service, which that's a good idea, right? Do anything for God, let's worship God. And so they have this big church service. And what's interesting is that God is kind of showing up in this worship service. And Nehemiah and everyone else is reading about this thing that God does. If you guys have read the Bible, Israel is a nation that messes up time and time and time again, just like us, right? And so they talk about this, how great God is, and they go on, and this is what he says. This is what the readers are talking about. They're talking to God, and he says, but our ancestors were proud and stubborn, and they paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for us and them. How many of you guys were like, yeah, sounds a little bit like myself? Just me. Okay. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to the slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them. Even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt, they committed terrible blasphemies. Verse 19, but you in your great mercy, you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness. The pillar of clouds still led them forward by day. The pillar of fire still showed them the way through the night. You sent your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not stop giving them manna from heaven or water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. So right here, we have a picture of Israel that did a lot of horrible things in the sight of God. A lot of things that if I were God, good thing I'm not God. If I were God, I'd probably do the infamous snap and just say, I'm done with you people. You're obliterated. I'm going to start all over. Because my fuse is not that long if I was God. But instead, God, 
He does something completely opposite. Instead of operating with a short fuse, God's fuse isn't even lit. And you can tell by the way he reacts to the action. It says that he forgave them countless times. He showed them unlimited grace and unlimited mercy. And he was intentionally slow to anger and never ran out of love for them. Even when that guy named Moses put his number two in charge, Moses went up the mountain to talk and spend time with God. No big deal there. Read that story. That's pretty crazy. And he left this guy named Aaron in charge. And Aaron is now trying his first hand at leadership 101, leading a nation. He messes up royally because as soon as he sees Moses hiking up the trail to God, he's like, hey, guys, I've got a good idea. We've been following God this entire time, but what if? We gathered our gold, we melted it, put it in the shape of a fat cow, and we worshiped that. Let's do that. And everyone got on board. Can you imagine if you were God and you did all of this stuff from take them out of Egypt, you lead them by a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night, and you gave them manna. They complained about manna, so you gave them a bird to eat. And they're complaining, and they're thirsty, and they're just this huge mess. And this one act right here is like, hey, let's stop worshiping that guy. Let's just worship a cow. My fuse is not that long. I'd be like, done with you. You're all dead right now. Couldn't do it. But God does not do this. His fuse is not even lit. And that's what's interesting, that whenever... Whenever American church studies this, I love this, we call it the 40 years of their wandering as a punishment. But do you know what the nation of Israel calls this, this the 40 years? 40 years of grace. Because 40 years, they keep messing up and keep messing up and keep messing up. All of which we wouldn't have blamed God saying, "Ah, I'm done, y'all dead, I'll start over. And instead of that, God gives them grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. So I think it's safe to say our God is long-suffering because we can pick on Israel. We can pick on the story as much as we can. But I think let's take this a little personally. How many times have you messed up? How many times have we ran to God saying, God, I'm sorry for the hundredth time of doing the same thing over and over and over again? And God, without skipping a beat, says, God, I messed up again. I I know you just forgave me yesterday, but I'm asking for another thing of forgiveness today. No problem. Get back on track. God, for the millionth time, I know I'm back at your feet again. I still messed up. No problem. I think it's safe to say our God is long-suffering for our sake. Because every time... We do something horrible in God's eyes where God should have just wiped us out and started over. I mean, come on, let's just realize the power of God. Like, we, we believe God is our Father, yes and amen, and I will shout that down all day. But God is also God. He's done some pretty gnarly things in the Bible. And I know that if he wanted to, he could do it again. But instead of operating out of anger, Our God is long-suffering. He comes in time and time again and rescues us and puts us back in the right situation once again and puts us back on track. Can someone say thank you, Jesus?
that is so huge. You need to realize God is long-suffering for your sake. It kind of reminds me of this commercial that we found, that I found, and um, we're going to play here just for a little bit, but I'm going to kind of set it up. Uh, this commercial was played in the Super Bowl way back in the day, and uh, it kind of puts in perspective of just, you know, our God. We can say our God, our dad, our earthly, our heavenly dad. He's always there ready to rescue us out of our situations. And this, I think this might illustrate this a little bit better for us. So you can go ahead and play that. Yeah, here. I gotcha. Oh. If you can hold on me oh. Remember when only Dad could save the day? Auto emergency braking on the all-new Genesis from Hyundai. So that's the commercial. Uh, today's not sponsored by Hyundai. We don't have to worry about that. You can turn up the house lights. But I think it kind of just puts it in perspective that God is always on the ready to rescue you out of your mess that you created. Sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? But you need to realize, I mean, God, the entire Bible is about rescuing people out of their mess-ups. Look at King David, mess-up after mess-up. God got him back on track. Solomon, mess-up after mess-up. Jonah, mess-up after mess-up. Adam and Eve, mess-up after mess-up. Going into the New Testament, Peter, mess-up after mess-up. Paul, mess-up after mess-up. Juan today, Pastor Vaughn, mess-up after mess-up. God is right there, ready to take us out, put us back on track. So when we talk about long-suffering, I, I, I think we need to, to think of the terms of long fuse. And I love that God bears this fruit of the Spirit because God's fuse is not even lit. It doesn't even come close. There's a lot of things that in our history that God should have been like, uh, I'll make a new one. And he doesn't. Doesn't even come close. And so I have to ask you this. Because our God does that with us, we should do the same with those around us. That because God's fuse is not even lit, we must also be long-fused enough that we don't like the fuse. But I also know we're human, right? I'm not saying we should never get angry or we should be passive. I mean, those things are, are is that what, what long-suffering is actually not. In fact, uh, let me give you a new definition of long-suffering. Long-suffering means this. means to react positively in the face of a negative action. Long-suffering means to react positively in the face of a negative reaction. So that is what long-suffering is. But really quick, this is what long-suffering is not. Again, long-suffering is not a passive attitude that you're not supposed to care what's going on or that you're not supposed to care at all. Long-suffering is not a thick skinned Christian where you are so callous that you're kind of this emotionless robot that lives through this world. I mean, each time I read about Jesus, and I know this sounds very painful, but because it is, Jesus lays out his heart and soul for everyone around him. And yes, it got hit, it got trampled on, it got stabbed, it got hung on the cross. But he did it every single time. Every single time. Why? Because he embodied long-suffering. And church, we need to do the same. And guess what? Yes, you're going to get hurt. 
You're going to have patience and you're going to have grace. And it's going to be used. You're going to be used. But there's going to be that person that comes along. And because your fuse is long enough, after mess up, after mess up, there's going to be a light bulb that goes off. And they're going to say, huh, I get it. And that's worth it, church. It's worth it. So let me make this practical for us. If we all have fuses and need to be more like Jesus and less of us, how do we make sure our fuse is long enough that we don't explode? Simple. (laughs) You extend your fuse, right? How do we extend our fuse? I'm going to show you exactly how to do that. Uh, In in, uh, elementary school, when I was typing this, popped in my head. In in elementary school, we used to have the firefighter crew. And I don't know if they still do this. I hope they do. It was really good, really good training. But they brought the firefighter crew, and they'd show us, you know, the firefighter and their whole get up, and it was pretty cool. And but my favorite part is they brought this uh, kind of mini playhouse on a trailer, and they pull it up there. And if you wanted to, um, you can crawl through this through the window and find your way to the door. The catch was is that they'd have like like slightly heated elements like on the doors. You can tell the door is hot. You're supposed to learn how to test out over the back of your hand. And they'd fill it with haze and smelled like strawberries. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> hopefully it was haze, right? <laughs> Uh, but the whole point of it was we're supposed to crawl on your knees and kind of crawl underneath the smoke, and it's supposed to teach you fire safety. And when you found your way out, you're supposed to do this drill that you're supposed to, what happens if you are on fire? I think we all know it. What are you supposed to do? Stop, drop, and roll, right? Stop, drop, and roll. And so we'd have to do that. We'd have to go out there, and we'd stop, and we'd drop, and roll on the grass. And, and, and the whole reason why we had to do that is because if you're on fire and you're running, what you're doing is you're forcing air through the flames, and you're actually fanning the flames. It's actually way worse for you to run and scream your head off than just to stop, drop, and try to roll and put out the fire. That's why they have you do this. I mean, church, apply that to this. Apply that to what we're talking about when our fuse is on fire. When your fuse is lit, I mean, all when, when most of the time when our fuse is lit, all we do is we run around and we scream on Facebook. Or we run to our friend and gossip or run to who, ha- who, who will ever lend an ear and hear how angry we are or how offended we are or how ticked off we are or how they should have done it this way and not that way. And you think that they're dumb and you're the right one. And all we, and all we do is we keep running and we do that and we fan the flame that's, that's on our fuse. And what we do is we make that fuse burn faster. And so I want to tell you this morning, I don't know how you handle your fuse when it's lit, but I want to encourage you to do exactly this, to stop, drop, and roll. Instead of running, first what? Stop. Stop running around. Stop running your mouth. Stop running your brain. Stop doing all these. Stop doing what you're doing and take a breath. Stop typing. Stop texting. Stop messaging. Stop gossiping. Just stop and take a breath. then you drop. And this might be the hardest part. Because to extend your fuse, and I need you all to listen to this part. Please, 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 please listen to this. We need to drop our opinions. We need to drop what we think. I've had people come up to me and they're like, Pastor Vaughn, you know, the whole, you know, the LGBT stuff's coming up and the world's going this way and, you know, they're they're, they're doing stuff with the church. And they're taking away our rights. And I mean, what, what, what's your opinion on it, Pastor Vaughn? What, what do you think about it? What do you, and, and you know what I tell them? 
And I don't know if you appreciate this. I don't think about it. I don't have an opinion on it. You know why? Because God does not call us to form our own opinions on matters of this world. In fact, I just believe what the Bible says. And the Bible answers those questions for us. Now, that sounds great because a lot of us will claim that. But a lot of times, and the church is really good at this, is that then we kind of take what God says and we think, oh, we need to make it a little bit better and extend what God said. And you form your own opinion. God does not need help on what he said in Scripture. It's already said. It's done. Amen. And we're supposed to just follow it. It's really as easy as that. And so we need to stop running around, fanning the flames. Then we need to drop our opinion. I mean, I've read the Bible cover to cover a few times, and there is not one place where it says, as a Christian, you're entitled to your own opinion. I'm sorry to say that, and you might leave the church after that, and I'm going to say, God bless you. But let me tell you, we're not entitled to our own opinion. But I do read this, that we need to drop what we think. We need to drop any offense that we may have. You know, as a Christian, we're not supposed to be an offense. God calls us against that. We need to drop our guard. We need to drop our entitlement. We need to drop our rights to whatever we think that may be and look beyond our own emotions. The biggest one I see today that as Christians, and it, it kind of sparks, I'm going to step on the soapbox just for a little bit. I don't do that often, but let me do it just for a little bit this morning. As Christians, we need to drop this victim mentality that we have. We need to drop this victim mentality that we carry. They're taking away our rights. They're, what, what are they going to do? What, what are we going to do? We, what, 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 we need a protest. We need to do this. We need to hold signs on the corner. We need, like, what are we going to do? And we have this, this victim mentality. But here's the deal. You are not a victim. God already made you more than a conqueror in his scripture. So it's time to start acting like that. So drop your victim mentality. We have to drop it. I mean, you can read that through the Bible, and you can argue that. You can read that. I mean, you can start saying that from the Good Samaritan, who had every right not to help out his enemy, but he dropped it up and reacted in love. I heard it from a campus pastor from Fresh Life Church. He says, this is what we need to do. We need to dismantle our victim mentality and replace it with the mentality for the victim. Say that one more time. We need to dismantle our victim mentality and replace it with the mentality for the victim. That it is true, hurt people do hurt people. That there are things that we cannot see in the other person. And we just have to trust God is taking care of it. Well, Vaughn, they hurt me. I know. I get that. Trust me. I have been where people have been mad at me and angry at me. And I have to just understand that, God, you are still in control and you're going to do something. And trust me, in this world, yes, you have every right to be offended, every right to be angry, every right to do whatever your opinion may think you may need to do. But since we are a citizen of heaven, we have to drop those rights and pick up our citizenship and realize that we do not act according to the way of this world, that we act the way according to what Jesus said. So stop it. Drop it all. 
And then here's one. Then you got to roll. What does that mean? I might be stretching this a little bit. But to the one that's causing your fuse to be short, roll out the red carpet for them. Love them to death. Roll the dice. Take a chance with them. You're going to get burnt. You're going to get hurt. But there's going to be that someone that their eternity is going to be changed because all because you decided to love them. You decided to take a chance with them. Why? Because our goal as a Christian is to show others that Jesus loves them just as much as Jesus loves you and I. Whether they know it or not. And the reason we choose to be long-suffering, to have our long fuse in our lives, is because God is long-suffering. God has been long-suffering with each and every one of us. And there are many times where you and I, we deserve a really big different outcome than what actually happened. We read scripture and says, well, what do we deserve? But God responds differently. God did just as he did with Nehemiah. He showed up faithful, full of love, grace, and mercy, rescuing us from our mess and setting us back on track for the millionth and one time. And guess what? He's going to be there again for you. And the reason why God does this, and we have to remember this, church, when we talk about people, the reason God has a long fuse is because God is fueled by this scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11, most of us know this. For I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The reason why God is long-suffering is because he has a plan for us. He even has a plan for those who don't even know him yet. And we need to be careful, and please, please hear this. Do not pack up yet. Please hear this. And this is why I, 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 I get frustrated, and I get angry, actually, to be honest. I get very angry when people talk bad about other people. And I know it comes out from a place of hurt or whatever it may be, but you need to understand, you're not talking about just some podunk person. You're talking about a creation of God that was created in his image. And that before you even had your little bitterness against them, Jesus has a plan and a purpose for them, just as much he has a plan and a purpose for you. And our job as Christians to do everything that we can through the fruit that we bear as Christians to get them to that direction. So that means you need to be trampled on for a little bit. Oh, I hate that. It may take that. And I will say this, you are no closer to resembling Jesus than when you do that. Because Jesus died on the cross for you. So let me ask you again, how long is your fuse? Simply put, Christians, we are long-suffering so that others can come to know Jesus. That is why we need to bear the fruit of long-suffering not a fun fruit to bear. It's not a fun fruit to preach on. But it is a necessary fruit that we need to bear in our life. And let me tell you, those people that have used you, manipulated you, stabbed you in the back, but you keep open your heart to them, 
my prayer, God says that one of two things in the Bible. Number one, that he's the God of vengeance. He'll take care of it. You don't need to do anything. It's fine. God will, God will have your back. But number two, my prayer is that they will realize at some point in their life that, my goodness, why do they keep laying their heart out to me? Why do they keep calling me? Why do they keep texting me? Why do they keep loving on me when I don't even want them? And let me tell you, when that comes up, jump on that. That is your opportunity to let them know that Jesus is long-suffering for you. Yeah, there's a guy that loves them. That's long-suffering, church. My prayer is that you extend your fuse. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it all. Roll out your love. Roll out the red carpet to them. Let's show the world that it doesn't matter what they throw at us. We've got a God that has our back. We're going to long suffer so that they can come to know Jesus. Amen? Amen, church? Come on, someone say amen, even if you don't mean it. Amen, church? I know, it's a little little hard. It's a little hard, but let me try it out. See what happens. It's a fruit that we have to bear as Christians. And it's going to pay off. It will. Remember, you're not storing up earthly treasures. You're storing up what? Treasures in heaven. Let's pray, church. Father, I thank you for this message. I know it's a message that, um, you know, it, 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 it brings encouragement and it can give us hope. But it's also a message that really tells me that there's times where I just need to, for lack of a better word, just, just suck it up. And that I need to go out there and realize that I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of heaven. And I have a higher purpose. I have a higher agenda. I have a mission from God. That mission is just to draw people closer to you. To be my life. So with every eye is closed, heads are bowed. Got that one call. Maybe this morning you're realizing, man, God has been bearing with me this entire time. He's saying, I need, I need to come to Jesus. Need to have this relationship with him. Or maybe you're saying, you know what? I've been away and I need to get back with him. If that is you, I just want to pray for you. No one's looking. The lights are down. Can you just slip your hand up? I just want to pray for you. You slip your hand up and say, you know what? I need to come to Jesus. I need to get this right. So that means this. Lot of people in North Platte that don't know the story. There's a lot of people in North Platte that don't know the life-saving gospel of Jesus. And God, let me tell you, he's not going to bring salvation through North Platte through this pastor. He's actually going to do it through you. My job is to equip you. You're the foot soldiers in this mission. And tomorrow or right after this, you're going to be in a place where your waiter or waitress may not know you're going to be with your family and your uncle that's kicked you off at every family get together he may not know you can go to your work tomorrow or tonight your co-workers may not know your boss may not even know but God's going to let them know through you so father I thank you for this message I thank you Lord that you you suffered through a lot of my mess 
you counted it worthy. And because of that, I can stand here today washed by your blood. Being able to preach your word with confidence. Being able to know that I do have a plan and a purpose. Lord, that's not just for me, but that's for every single person in this room. So Lord, I do pray that while we bear this other fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, but Lord, let us not forget long-suffering. The reason why we're standing here is your son suffered a lot for our sake. Lord, we hide this message in our heart and live it out in our actions. In your name, everyone said, amen.